The Holy Father is back home after a three-day historic trip to Lebanon. With the violence happening in Syria, I thought that this visit would not happen. Although, how could the Holy Father cancel after he'd agreed to visit? He went to Lebanon to deliver an apostolic exhortation to the bishops of the region. This document is the conclusion of the work of the Synod for the Middle East, which took place in October 2010. The document provides a roadmap towards the future of the church in the region. He could have delivered it in Rome, he could have published it online, but instead he decided to go to Lebanon. Despite the fact that Jesus lived in this land, only 4% of the population in the Middle East today is Christian. These Christians face many challenges, and those are the challenges addressed by the Synod and the Apostolic Exhortation. But the visit was more than just an opportunity to deliver a document. It was very much a pastoral visit. The Pope met with thousands of young people last Saturday to pray for peace and told them that they, both Muslims and Christians, are the future of that country and they need to build up their country together. He said that the beauty of Lebanon is found in that fine symbiosis of Muslims and Christians. He added, and I quote, it is vital that the Middle East in general, looking at you, should understand that Muslims and Christians, Islam and Christianity, can live side by side without hatred, with respect for the beliefs of each person, so as to build together a free and humane society. During his farewell address, he prayed to God for Lebanon, that she may live in peace and courageously resist all that could destroy or undermine that peace. And so, let's join in praying for Lebanon and all the people in the Middle East. May God never cease to draw them to himself so as to offer them a share in his eternal life. May he fill them with his joy, his peace, and his light. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to an all-new season of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro Guevara Mann. Today we return with our regular programming. Andrew Santos will introduce us to the Saint of the Week. Sheridan will bring us up to date with what's happening in dioceses across Canada and the world. And Chris Dimitrenko will be joining me shortly with our weekly updates. Also this week, Sister Marie Paul will be here to review two films, October Baby and For Greater Glory. That's all in about 20 minutes. But before we begin, I want to tell you that we now have launched an online music station at saltandlighttv.org slash radio where you can listen to uninterrupted music and devotions, Christian music like you've never heard it before. Just go to our website and learn how you can listen online and on the go with your mobile device. And today, we're going to be speaking with Kurt von Schuschnigg, the son of the Austrian Chancellor during the Nazi takeover of Austria. His new book, When Hitler Took Austria, is a fascinating coming-of-age story of courage and faith. And that will be in our second half hour. And our featured artist this week is a fellow brother deacon, Deacon Chuck Stevens from Sarnia, Ontario. We'll be speaking with him at the end of the show. But here he is now with his song, Elohim, from his album, Harvest of Love. Choruses of angels sing unceasing worship at your throne. Elohim, breath of the Creator, moving 
through creation Fill my lungs and feed my weary soul Every song throughout the ages Sung by every creature Since the very dawn of time Wouldn't be sufficient to proclaim your power Adequately give you honor Or completely ever praise And glorify your name Elohim Though you are almighty You still delight when children call and pray Fill my lungs and feed my weary soul I can sense you in the stillness Can hear you in the silence And in the secret of my heart In that dark and quiet place your light is shining Always beckoning, inviting Calling me to put my trust And confidence in you Elohim The worthy are not chosen The chosen are made worthy by your call Deacon Chuck Stevens with Elohim from his album Harvest of Love. We're going to be speaking with Deacon Chuck in our second half hour. And in about 15 minutes, Windows to the Soul with Sister Marie, Paul. But first, Chris is now here with our news. Chris, how was your summer? 
Well, it's it was good, Pedro, and it's nice to be back. And today we're going to be talking about who had a busy summer. Oh, yeah. And first of all, I'd say Pope Benedict had a busy summer. Yes. But some of our listeners might be thinking, well, really? I mean, he had several weeks off at his residence in the Roman Castel Gandolfo in the Roman countryside, limiting his appearances uh, to the Angelus and a shortened general audience holding less meetings. But he did finish a book, the third volume of Jesus of Nazareth. I didn't finish any books during my summer vacation. Uh, he also uh, had to prepare his addresses for a three-day trip to Lebanon that took place last weekend. Mm-hmm. And then there was the ongoing distraction of the Vatican leaks. Yes. Uh, Vata leaks, they call it. And uh, him monitoring the investigations by the Vatican City State and the special commission of three cardinals. Now, an update on that, a trial was announced for Paolo Gabrielli. Uh, He was charged with aggravated theft of private documents pertaining to the Holy Father and members of the Curia. And there's a second person on trial by the name of Claudio Schiarpelletti for aiding and abetting Gabriele after the fact. Now, this uh, trial begins on the morning of September 29th in the audience hall of the Tribunal of Vatican City State. I don't remember if this is a, maybe you could call it the Vatican trial of the mm-hmm. century. I don't know how often they have big high profile often, trials no. like this. Um, I, now, I doubt that the Vatican Television Center will be covering it, but it really would make for great television. You know, maybe a good show, Canon Law and Order, yes, something like I don't that. Know. I don't know. Uh, you know who else had a busy summer, Pedro? That was Cardinal Timothy Dolan. Yes. Now, he's the Archbishop of New York City and the President of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, and he's really become the public face for the fight for religious liberty, particularly the right of Catholic institutions not to fund coverage of medical practices they disagree with, like contraception. Yes. Now, over the summer, he managed to irk both sides of the political spectrum. Um, some thought that by accepting to pray at the Republican convention, it looked like an endorsement. Right. But he then went and prayed with the Democrats as well. Mm-hmm. Now, he also wowed others by inviting both Obama and Romney to speak at the Al Smith fundraising dinner, which takes place in October. But it wasn't all serious business for Dolan. Uh, last week, he held an event called The Cardinal and Colbert, Humor, Joy, and the Spiritual Life. And uh, that was co-hosted with none other than Stephen Colbert, the comedian and host of the Colbert Report. Now, sadly, no reporters were allowed. So, like the trial in the Vatican, <laughs> uh, it was it was closed off to media. But thanks to Twitter, uh, the jokes could not be contained. It sounded like it was a lot of fun. Now, finally, on a much more serious note, uh, Caritas Internationalis in West Africa was very busy. Uh, there was a food crisis in the Sahel region. There is. It's ongoing. Uh, the Sahel region is in West Africa. I had the opportunity to travel to Niger uh, to see what Caritas Niger is doing about it. Now, Caritas Niger, or Kadeb as they're called, are part of Caritas Internationalis, which is the umbrella group of local Catholic organizations. In, the, in Canada, we have Development and Peace, which is part of Caritas. And in the United States, it's called Catholic Relief Services. And the work that they're doing, Caritas Niger, which is supported by Catholic Relief Services and by Development and Peace, um, includes food aid, uh, as well as teaching farming techniques so that uh, they can better respond to drought situations, which is what caused the crisis, and also advocacy um, in terms of, of trying to make sure that 
um, that food aid reaches the poor and that they have better economic conditions to uh, to deal with these crises. Now, Salt Line is working on a series of programs about this food crisis and the ongoing problems that mean that these crises are occurring more and more frequently in Africa. And, and also our programs will be looking at what the Catholic Church is doing about it, which is really quite inspiring work. Now, you can find a five-minute explanation of what is happening and how you can help. And, and Pedro, if it's all right with you, let's post that on the Salt and Light Radio webpage. Absolutely. SaltandLightTV.org slash radio, and it'll give you um, an explanation of what's going on yeah, and we'll how you can a help. link there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Thank you very much, Chris. Chris Dimitrenko who also had a busy summer, our Salt and Light Radio News producer. If you'd like to comment on anything that you hear on this program, we'd love to hear from you. Remember, our email is radio at saltandlighttv.org. I'm Mark Matthews, your Hollywood undercover missionary, and you're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM. I'm Deacon Pedro. Our website is saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And now it's time for... Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. Oh, Deacon Pedro. How was your summer? It was very good, thank you. Yeah, uh, busy? Yeah, uh, quite a lot of projects. Managed yeah. to get away a little bit. Yeah, you were in Africa too. Yeah, it was yeah, quite something. Good. That's a story for another time. Yes, I know. Um, anyways, yeah. um, this is an exciting time for the Catholic Church because mm-hmm. in October uh, next month, uh, Holy Father Pope Benedict will canonize October seven 21st. new saints. Yes. Seven new saints, including one Filipino and two Americans. But, um, you know, we know about Blessed Kateri Tekakwitha. We've yeah. heard about Blessed Marian Cope's story and little Pedro Kalansud from, from the, the Philippines, Philippines, who some people think I look like. But yes. anyways, <laughs> um, we're going to go off the beaten path and we're going to learn about Father Giovanni Piamarta, who okay. will be canonized um, on October, 21st. I believe it's the 21st. That's right. So um, Father Giovanni Piamarta, he is also known as John the Baptist uh, mm. Piamarta. He was born to a very poor family. Uh, Giovanni's mother died uh, when he was nine years old, and um, he grew up in the slums. Mm-hmm. You know, he was hardly educated, but uh, he was mentored part of the time by his really religious um, grandfather. Right. And as a young boy, Father uh, Pia Marta discovered that, you know, he had a call to the priesthood. And he was ordained on December the 24th, 1865, on okay. Christmas Eve. Huh. And he was assigned to the parish of St. Alexander, which is in Carzago Riviera in the region of Bedizzole, Italy. Mm. So in his ministry, he worked with poor youth, and he also worked with young factory workers in the Brescia region. So on December 3rd, 1866, him, along with uh, Father Pietro Capretti, uh, they founded the Workmen's Institute. I don't know if you've ever heard uh, heard of them. The Workmen's Institute uh, provides support and helps keep Christianity in the lives of young people who move to the city for work. Right. Um, for those who come out of the countryside. Uh, with Father Giovanni Bonsignori, um, he also founded the Agricultural Colony of Remedello. Right. And that was to provide services to, uh, to farm workers. Uh, something similar to, uh, to the ministry similar, that, yeah, you yeah, lead. that I'm working on. Yeah. yeah with so religious workers. brothers and sisters were drawn to the work that. Um, Father Giovanni was doing. Yeah. And in March of 1900, he founded the Congregation of the Holy Family of Nazareth and the Congregation of the Sisters, Humble Servants of the Lord. Right. It's a beautiful name. Uh-huh. Um, they were former, formal religious congregations um, for them. So, um, beautiful thing. His foundations and the congregations that he founded, they're still in existence today. 
um, furthering Father Giovanni's dedication to young people. He had a special uh, calling for that. Um, so the whole process of him being canonized, it started when he was made um, a servant of God. Mm -hmm. That happened on the 22nd of March, 1986, by Pope John Paul II. Same Pope, John Paul II, went on to beatify him in October of 1997. And um, in at the beatification, uh, Pope John Paul said that the apostolic work of Father Giovanni Biamarta is multifaceted and it encompasses many areas of social life. The world of work in the agricultural sector, mm -hmm. from education to the publishing sector, he left a large footprint in the Diocese of Brescia and within the entire church. He died on April the 25th, 1913, and uh, his body was interred in the Workmen's Institute Church in Remedello, and his Memorial Day is marked on April the 26th. Okay, very good. And he's so, going to be canonized on October 21st. Yes, it should be quite the celebration. It will be, and we'll be certainly covering a lot of that. So... Blessed Giovanni Piamarta. I'm sure that's a new saint for a lot of our listeners. Thank you very much. Andrew Santos, our saint expert. In about five minutes, what's happening across our country, so stay tuned. Hello, I'm Angelina, and you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can find Salt and Light on Facebook. Our Twitter handle is at Salt and Light TV. You can read our blog at saltandlighttv.org slash blog. And now it's time for Windows to the Soul with Sister Marie Paul Curley. Sister Marie Paul, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour once again. Thank you, Pedro. So uh, there's been these, this, these two movies. They just came out on DVD, October Baby and For Greater Glory. I've spoken about them on the show before. In fact, we spoke to the Irwin brothers who who directed and produced October Baby. And I spoke to Pablo Barroso um, at the end of last season uh, about a, For Greater Glory. So I'm curious to know what you think about these two films. Well, as you know, Pedro, these are my favorite kinds of movies. Um, the, the movies that are really great stories that also really explore very deeply themes of faith and spirituality. So okay. uh, For Greater Glory is uh, for those who haven't heard the previous shows, it's a retelling of the impressive story of the Cristeros, uh -huh. who were Mexican freedom fighters who fought for their freedom to practice their Catholic faith. Um, in the 1920s, it's the period of the, after the Mexican Revolution when the Mexican government was actively persecuting the church. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to spoil um, the, fi the film for those who haven't seen it, so I'm going to be a little less specific mm -hmm. about um, about the, my favorite part of the film, um, which really made the film for me. But what I can say is that the filmmakers obviously have a profound understanding of Catholic spirituality, morality, and teaching, and these are all very convincingly and naturally reflected in the film. It's very well made. It's well casted. It's well acted. Um, I loved the performances of, of Peter O'Toole and Andy Garcia and Oscar yeah. Isaac and, um, and, and the little boy, Mauricio Curry. They're uh -huh. all just, they were great to watch. Um, I think one of the strengths of the film is that it tries to give the audience a broad understanding of the wide composition of the people who became Cristeros, who fought to be able to practice their faith. Not just soldiers and ranchers, but also women and even and priests children, became yeah. involved. Yeah, and kids became involved. Yeah. The only, the only, my only concern with the film as um, I watched it and reflected on it is that in trying to tell so many stories, I think at a certain point the film lim limps a little bit. 
Um, and the stories become a little bit unevenly told. But one story, the story of Jose Sanchez Del Rio, is yes. so compelling. So he's the little boy. He's a little boy. He makes um, it just it yeah. makes the entire film pull together. Yeah. And uh, even though the film itself is, has some quite violent um, yes. scenes because it, it is about war, um, which would limit the audience really to mature teens and adults. Adults, the fact that the story is true and that the violence is never sensationalized or glorified mm-hmm. does really make this a really great choice. I, I really recommend anyone who's interested in, a, in in our Catholic faith or interested in the history of the church in North America um, go, to go see this film because it's really, you know, rented on DVD. It's, it's an excellent yeah. film yeah. Um, to, to look at. And it's particularly thought-provoking in how it retells an important part of our Catholic history here in North America. Yeah, it's a story that even Mexicans don't know. Um, uh, so, I, yeah, it's out on DVD, so I, I would encourage people to watch it and watch it more than once because I agree with you that, that, that at some point I got confused with what story was what because there's so many different characters and they have strange names like Anacleto. And so unless you really are paying attention and you know who's who, it can get a little confusing, I thought. I think so too, but I think that the strength of the film really is in the the life of the little boy. Absolutely, yeah. Who is a he's been beatified? Well, you just spoiled it. Oh, sorry, but no, but nobody. I mean, (laughs) but it is. It's a true. You know, his story is true. He's a martyr. He's a martyr for the Catholic faith and uh, and and really inspiring for youth. So I I do even recommend it for teenagers to go and see it. Blessed uh, Jose Sanchez del Rio, martyr, Mexican martyr. Okay, good. And October Baby. October Baby is the second film and. Although it's this is a completely different film, it's low budget, and I think it's done very much in the story of um, style, I should say, style of a bit of a soap opera. It, it, I, as I was watching the film, it's, it's the story of a college student who discovers that not only is she adopted, but she's the survivor of an abortion attempt. Mm. And then the film really becomes about her journey to accept her history to know what to do with it. So it's it's a family drama film. So it's a bit like a soap opera with, you know, focusing on the characters' emotions. But it, it does have a couple of really good plot twists that I didn't expect. It got me to cry, which <laughs> very few films do. Good. And without much preachness at all, it really highlights uh, very uh, poignantly the tragedy that abortion is for everyone who is involved, the child, the mother, the medical staff, the father, the family, adoptive parents. Hmm. Um, it's It's... Even though you can you you get the sense that it's low budget and uh, it's still beautifully done and it's not really preachy it's a great it's a great story because you're really going through this journey of discovery with this young student and my favorite moment in the film is um, when the the college student Hannah meets her mother who is brilliantly play, played by Sherry Rigby mm-hmm. and um, at the end of the film she also shares her personal. Um, testimony about um, her experience with abortion and how the film has helped to heal her. So I would say the style of the film is definitely appealing to young people um, and even for young teenagers, despite the PG-13 rating. I think mm-hmm. um, I, even though the topic is abortion and that's quite a mature topic, it still is really important for young people to see this film. So I highly recommend both. Okay, um, good. But not for your little kids. So, for, so for your teenagers and it's, it's, it's great for youth groups? Yeah. For classroom, maybe even? Definitely. Okay, definitely. very good. So that's for Greater Glory, October Baby. Both are out on DVD. Just put in, put those names in your search engine, and uh, you will find how to get those DVDs. Thank you, Sister Marie Paul. 
Thank you, Pedro. Sister Marie Paul is with the Congregation of the Daughters of St. Paul, and you can read her blog at windowstothesoul.wordpress.com. Hi, I'm Christian Matrenko, and you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. You can podcast the Salt and Light Hour for free at saltandlighttv.org slash radio and also off iTunes. And here now is Sheridan with our diocesan update. Hello. Did you have a good summer? Yes, I did. Thank you very much for asking. I hope everyone else had a great summer as well. And I see your kids were very busy. Yes, yes. No, we, we had a good summer. Making movie productions. Busy. Yeah, everybody's, uh, everybody's making movies. <laughs> we're all busy, yes. Fantastic. Okay, great. Let's start off with Chris Bray. Of course, he's a very yeah. known face to us. Yes, he's uh, been uh, our salt and, la- salt and Light Hour featured artist many times. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Well, he's coming to the Trenton, Ottawa area for three Night of Worship events. And mm-hmm. this is in partnership with Compassion Canada. So pull out your daytime. That's going to be October the 10th in Trenton, Ontario at Bethel Pentecostal Church, and that's at 7 p.m. And then October the 11th in Ottawa at Sunnyside Wesleyan Church with the Ian Warner Band at 7 p.m. Excellent. Yeah, if you're in that area, I highly recommend to go and do some worship with Chris Bray. He's excellent. And also, you can check him out on October the 12th in Canada on Ontario at Bridalwood Nazarene Church at 7 p.m. So for more information, visit chrisbraymusic.com. Excellent. And the Archdiocese of Vancouver is holding the Archbishop's Evening with Catechists. The evening consists of Mass with Archbishop Miller, an Episcopal blessing for catechists and recognition for catechists serving more than 20 years, followed by a reception. That's Friday, October the 12th at Holy Rosary Cathedral. The evening starts at 7 p.m. Registration ends October the 5th, so register at rcav.org. And we're premiering our latest documentary, Across the Divide, a documentary about Bethlehem University in the Holy Land. It's co-directed by our very own Chris Dimitrenko. Our screenings include a panel discussion and lots of uh, Mm behind-the-scenes info. And if you'd like to attend, our next stop is Windsor. So stay tuned uh, at saltandlighttv.org slash divide. Uh, there you can you you can view our snazzy little trailer and find out more about our partners. And I highly, highly recommend that you check it out. Chris and Richard Valenti, the editor, did an incredible job with it, and it's it's very, very well done. Yeah, no, there have been screenings: Vancouver, Halifax, Toronto, Ottawa. Oh, very and well the next attended. One is in Windsor, so if people out. are in the Windsor area, uh, f- check it out and see if you can join us. In Edmonton, we've got Scripture Fest 2012. That's going to be happening on Saturday, September the 29th. And that's next weekend at Archbishop MacDonald Catholic High School. Mm-hmm. Learn how to put scripture at the center of your faith life and share it with others. And guess who the keynote speaker is? Father Thomas Rizika. Our <laughs> boss. <laughs> the executive producer of this program. Yeah. Uh, the registration fee is $20 and deadlines to register are uh, September the 26th for online phone and email Mm. and you can also register at the door but you may not get a package so make sure that you register early visit caedm.ca or contact danielle at 780-469-1010 extension 2286 and this is just jumping ahead quite a bit into october Uh um 
stay posted for the Year of Faith because that yes. begins October the 11th and that coincides with the 50th anniversary of the opening of the Second Vatican Council and we're going to be bringing you daily updates from Rome about the Synod on the New Evangelization which will be held throughout the month of October mm-hmm. and we'll be broadcasting the opening Mass and you can watch that and so much more uh, live on our website at saltandlighttv.org and uh, yeah, that's about it for this week. Well, that's good. Thank you for mentioning the year of faith because uh, we don't want that to go. Uh, it'd be hard to have it go under the radar, but yeah. the year of faith, new evangelization, it's all coming together and the anniversary. And of course, you're going to be in Rome yes, for that mass. So that'll be very exciting. Looking forward to some updates for you on this program. Sheridan, thank you very much. Coming up in our second half hour, what would you have done in the face of Nazi Germany? And what is the role of a deacon? So stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Now, despite the Austrian Chancellor's attempts to prevent it, in March 1938, German troops marched into Austria as Adolf Hitler prepared to annex the country. The Austrian Chancellor at the time, Kurt von Schuschnigg, was arrested and eventually sent with his wife to a concentration camp. This is the story of von Schuschnigg and his family as told by his son, Kurt, who came of age during these dramatic events. His memoir is a tribute to the faith, hope, and perseverance of his family and the many people who took great risks in order to help them survive Nazi rule and the Second World War. And Kurt Jr. and his wife, Janet, join me now on the phone from their home in New York. Welcome both to to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much, Thank you, Deacon thank Pedro. you, Deacon Pedro. Now, thank you very much I, for having us. I, I, I want to compliment you on the book because it was a, an excellent read. I, I found it interesting and entertaining. And, and I have to ask you, I know, Janet, um, you helped a lot. I, I imagine um, uh, recreating some of these conversations because I thought, how can Kurt remember all these details? Exactly. But you know what? I know, I know Kurt as well as I know myself. And, and, you know, with, with the outline of, of the way things went and his telling, you know, he told me over years and years and years this story. Right. These uh, different bits at different times. And. On rainy days, you do, you do things like this. Yes. And, and, you know, it was, you're right. One, some of this dialogue has to be helped a little or was helped a little, but. Yes. Uh, the, it, the flavor, uh, uh, and the gist of, of, of what was written is exactly as it was, but uh, not happy memories uh, right. for my husband to go back over. Now, Kurt, did you had you been keeping a journal or anything at the time that helped you remember some of the? Not really. No, I didn't. But uh, unfortunately, these events were very strong and uh, in my mind, and you couldn't uh, forget them. I mean. Right. No, of course, I can imagine. Now, so just to explain, I don't want to give too much uh, of of the book away because I want people to go and get the book. But so the book, if you can explain a little bit, it's it's a it's a dramatized historical account of your growing up, Kurt. Correct. That's right. That's it. And 
But what I would like to say is that uh, my father, as chancellor, was the only uh, member or the only uh, minister, yes, chancellor, head of government, yes, who was actively working against Hitler at the time. Between 34 and 38, you couldn't get any any European country to assist you, to help you against Hitler. They all said, oh, it's not so bad, it's, it's going to go away, and so forth. Right, so and, he... Uh, one has to, to read the book of Hitler, the Mein Kampf, uh -huh. which my father read, and there is the whole story is written in there, what, what he was going to do. Uh, he was saying that Austria was his first, uh, his first goal, goal to to yeah to, to reunite together to reunite to with Germany. Well, and, and I think a lot of people don't realize that Hitler was Austrian. Yeah, well, <laughs> correct. They try and deny it. I mean, the Austrians. Well, we we say that uh, Beethoven is Austrian and Hitler is German. You know, right? Of course. But, but <laughs> now, so just so, sorry, just to clarify then, so. Kurt, your father opposed, he opposed the Nazis all the time, all the while, even before he was chancellor, as, as you yes. just said. But that's not what a lot of historians say. Why is there confusion about that? Well, uh, because there was, uh, unfortunately, a second uh, party that were the socialists. Right. They were very adamant of throwing over the government. Uh -huh. of, uh, of, they wanted to have the power mm -hmm. in those days. And the, the socialists of those days were quite different from the socialists of today. Right. They uh, were radical Marxists, they really. were, most of them. Most yes. of them. I mean, one, for instance, one of the men who was hanged in Austria because uh -huh. of the 1934 uprising that uh, had against the government, was actively involved in the shooting of the Tsar of Russia. Right. And he was a former Austrian prisoner of war who became a Bolshevik with the revolution there and took part in all these things. And, and if, if I can just say this, yes. if, if the manifesto of the socialists included... Um, in it was the overthrow of the bourgeoisie government by any means and dictatorship of the proletariat. So right. they were serious. This wasn't, there was, there was just no compromise. And unfortunately, uh, they, the, my, the predecessor of Kurt von Schuschnigg was, uh, Engelbert Dorfus, who was also, uh, a very dedicated Austrian, also a very strong Catholic, and, Determined, he was also he was he together with uh, Kurtushnik were were dedicated to this the idea of of keeping the Nazis out because they knew they they had been there. There was the ridiculous thing that uh, uh, all of a sudden after the war, yes, you read in, in the dictionaries. About Dolphus and they say dictator. Yeah, this right. is a sad thing. But it, so it's I mean, not true. This is a sad thing. fascist. I mean, he was so stupid. Was he? A, he was assassinated. Dolphus yes. was assassinated. Was assassinated. Yes. Now tell me a little bit. Despite the Nazis. Now, you mentioned that that your, both your father and Dolphus and were were very um, faithful Catholics. What was the relationship between yeah. the government at the time and the 
the Pope or the Church? A very, very good relationship. I mean, my father had a personal friendship with Pope Pius XI. Yes. And uh, who helped him uh, later on form a government that was uh, not democratically elected, but it, it couldn't be in the time because... Well, what what I think my husband's had, trying to say is that the what happened was through the machinations of the socialist uh, head of parliament uh, to get a bill through, he resigned his post so he could vote because right. they were one vote short. Yes. It wound up that the entire parliament dissolved itself, and Dolphus, being a pragmatist, left on the chance. He said, all right, no parliament, we're going to have a different government. And they based the government on the, the encyclical uh, by Pope Pius XI, and also uh, Pope Leo XIII Amazing. had endorsed this. And it, it was, the Standestadt was the German uh, word for it, but it was basically representation by labor as well as by owners in the government and state uh, trade, exactly, exactly. instead of political parties. That way they got rid of the Nazis, and that's that's how it all started. And that's unheard of of a government basing their policies on a a papal encyclical. Um, (laughs) Let let me ask you, (laughs) Kurt, you, I mean, when you were a little boy, your mother died. In fact, it was a car crash, but it was an assassination attempt um, on your father. You, you know, eventually the Nazis invaded, you had to move to Germany, you finished your education there, you had to avoid being drafted into the German army, you ended up in a German naval academy and serving in a German warship. I mean, the story is an incredible story. Your father, your stepmother, your sister were held in a concentration camp. What sustained you during all this time? Well, I had my faith for, uh, was number one. Yes. And number two was... Survival, <laughs> right, and and your, your faith taught you survival. Were were you able to practice your faith openly, or was that something that you had to oh, yes. keep no, private? Oh no, no, you had, We had uh, we had the church. Churches were going, and, and Hitler avoided really to be to persecute them. Persecute them? Yeah, he did persecute, them. but not openly as much. Concentration yeah. camps, but. He didn't ban the you mass. Had, you had the church, you had masses and everything, and you had some courageous cardinals who preached yes. from the pulpit uh, quite openly against Hitler. Right. They got away with it. Miraculously, um, yeah. For instance, I was privileged to be invited by Cardinal, by then Bishop Prising, who later Cardinal Prising of Berlin, yeah. who gave me communion for my father in the concentration camp. Oh, so you were able to, I was going to ask you, so you were able to take, deliver communion to them, because at the concentration camp they would not have had access to mass or anything like that, right? No, no, of course not. And he had to, and he had to, of course, he didn't tell anybody that he had the sacrament with him. He had to be very careful. No, of course, to hide it. Yeah, Yeah, the the book actually, you you, uh, you, uh, recount some of the the things you had to smuggle in, but I'm not going to give any, any more details. Um, that's all the time we have, unfortunately, but I'm so glad to have been able to connect with you. I'm so glad that I read the book. It's an excellent book, and I thank you for, for taking, because it could not have been an easy task to remember all that, and then for Janet to 
put it all together in a in a in an exciting and interesting read. So thank you for sharing a little bit of your story with us. Thank you so much, Deacon Pedro. It was it was a delight. Thank you. Kurt von Schuschnigg is the son of the Austrian Chancellor during the Nazi takeover of Austria. He and his wife Janet von Schuschnigg are the authors of When Hitler Took Austria, a memoir of heroic faith by the Chancellor's son, available through Ignatius Press at ignatius.com. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Deacon Chuck Stevens, with his song, I Have Heard. Wonderful Savior, you spoke a solemn promise that you'd be with us till the end of days. And each day we'd hear you, if we would only listen, not just with our ears, but with a heart of The children singing Alleluia. Loving Redeemer, you said to feed the hungry, shelter the homeless, comfort those who children singing Alleluia, and the children singing Alleluia. The children singing Alleluia, and the children singing Alleluia, and the children singing Alleluia. That was Deacon Chuck Stevens with I Have Heard from his album, 
harvest of love. Deacon Chuck Stevens has been involved in parish music ministry since the mid-70s. Deacon Chuck has three CDs of original music. His music has been featured in Canada on the A Channel's Life and Faith. It has also been played on EWTN's Catholic Jukebox, on Michigan Catholic Radio, on Holy Family Radio's Live 365, and on a number of other Christian radio and internet stations in North America and Europe. Deacon Chuck was ordained a permanent deacon in 2007, and he now joins me on the phone from his home in Sarnia, Ontario. Welcome, Brother Deacon. Well, thank you, Deacon Pedro. It's <laughs> nice to hear you. <laughs> this is going to get really tiring is every time Deacon Chuck and Deacon Pedro. Um, <laughs> can, can you explain to people what this deacon thing is? What, what, what is a permanent deacon? Well, a permanent deacon is... Um, First of all, ordained clergy, uh, the diaconate is one of the three orders within holy orders. That's why the sacrament has an S on the end. That's why it's plural. Uh-huh. Um, and rather than even thinking of it as, a, as hierarchical, as in a descending order from you know bishop down to priest down to deacon, yeah. um, the deacon really serves uh, in partnership with the priest at, you know, at one hand of the bishop. Um, you know, serves at the bishop's uh, pleasure, mm-hmm. and is mostly involved in in three areas. Of course, liturgically, uh, where where some people who are familiar with with deacons will see them, is uh, during the celebration of the Eucharist or during the celebration of the Mass, particular liturgies. Yeah. Um, and uh, of course, then we are primarily uh, ministers of the the Word, mm-hmm. uh, the Gospel, proclaiming it, but also preaching and teaching, yeah. uh, not only through catechesis but through our lives. Uh-huh. And then, of course, the third, and uh, some say the most important, um, is mm-hmm. the ministry of charity. Right. Where we are to be the, the hands and feet uh, of Christ the, the servant, uh, you know, in the midst of our brothers and sisters serving the poor wherever they may be. And, and poor is a pretty broad term. Yeah. So, so that's why deacons are, are often found doing ministry in seniors' homes or prisons or hospitals. Exactly. That kind of thing. Exactly. Or, uh, as you said, to the marginalized, to whoever, as long as you can justify it, uh, uh, I guess, with your bishop in terms of ministry, what that ministry of charity is. Well, that that too, you know, the, the, the whole idea of the ministry of charity, you know, again, as you said, you know, the nursing homes, the prisons, the hospitals, but especially this year where, where you know, the Holy Father has, uh, you know, instituted a year of faith for mm-hmm. us, um, there's so much spiritual poverty out there. Yes. And that's what I'm really finding... Um, a shift almost in my my ministry of charity because my outreach is primarily in the nursing homes. Yeah. Um, but I'm also very much involved with uh, spiritual direction and spiritual guidance. Oh, and yeah. There's just a real hunger out there. So, I mean, I'm amazed at how many people have never even heard about the permanent diaconate. And, you know, after Mass, they still call me Father. Yeah. And they think I'm a priest. And I have a, such a hard time explaining, I mean, what you just very well explained. Um so how when we tell married men for example and I'll say you know I mean a married man you can be a permanent deacon how how do you know how and I guess this is kind of the how did you know question but how would you uh, explain that to someone who might be thinking well I feel called to serve the church I don't know if that means that I'm being called to the permanent diaconate well I think I think you you hit the nail partially on the head there when, oh, when you said, you know, I feel I'm being called. I mean, first and foremost, uh, before all else, uh, the permanent diaconate, you know, again, being part of holy orders, being the clerical state, it's a calling. 
Mm-hmm. And, and there has to be that, that burning from within, that stirring from within where, where God calls us, and, and calls us to discern. And, you know, I mean, there's the three big ways of, of discerning any vocational calling, and it doesn't necessarily apply only to the diaconate, um, but it, it applies to the diaconate as well as the priesthood or religious life. Right. And that's we discern through Scripture, mm-hmm. we discern through prayer, and we discern through our circumstances, yeah. you know, wherever our life seems to be changing yeah. around us. And that's the big thing. One of the, the most helpful things I've found, though, in trying to express and explain to people what the diaconate is, um, is not going to the fallback position of saying what the diaconate is not. Uh. I mean, I used to start by saying, well, you know, we do a lot of the things the priests do, but we don't consecrate the host and we don't hear confession. Right. Um, which is not altogether true either. I mean, we, we, we hear lots of confessions. We just don't grant absolution. Absolutely. That's right. And we're not bound by the seal either. So I tell everybody, you don't want to tell me oh, your secrets. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but having said that, what I found is, is more helpful is to tell people what, what deacons can do. Yeah. Or what they have the faculties to do. You know, we're ordinary ministers of the sacrament of baptism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're the ones ordinarily expected to proclaim the gospel. That's our proper liturgical mm-hmm. role. Um, you know, we, we marry people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, we preside over uh, funeral liturgies in the absence of a priest. We do benedictions. We, we yes. bless things. All, all these things that a deacon can do, I think it's, it's most important to try and focus on that mm-hmm. rather than what we, we can't do. So then the, the ministry of charity... Mm-hmm. How does that fit in? Because, I mean, priests, I guess priests are deacons as well, but priests uh, are also sometimes serving in, as prison chaplains or in hospitals doing, doing that kind of work. What, what makes the deacons call to that, that type of ministry different than, than the priests? Well, I think, I think the important part to remember is, is, again, as you pointed out, you know, once ordained is always ordained. So, yes, the priests were ordained deacons before they were ordained priests. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, you know, once ordained to the priesthood, they're configured to Christ the head. And, and while, you know, at the Last Supper in John's Gospel, Christ did, you know, strip himself down and put on a towel and, and assume the role of a servant and, and wash the disciples' feet and said, you know, um, as I have done, so you must do to one another. Uh-huh. And he also instituted, you know, the, the sacramental priesthood at the, at the Last Supper. Um, the diaconate is, is more, I mean, we're icons of Christ the servant in that role very much in, in the servant role of washing of the feet. Yeah. But we don't presume or take upon ourselves that, that role of Christ the head, but, uh-huh. where, where we are not necessarily the shepherd of the sheep. I mean, in times, you know, there are certain we circumstances have, yeah. we have to, to lead. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I made a comment one time when, when uh, they said, well, I understand the bishop is the shepherd. Yeah. And I can see the priest having the role of a shepherd. Um, where does the deacon fit into that pastoral shepherd role? And, mm-hmm. and my response was, actually, I think of the, the deacon as the sheepdog. Yeah. <laughs> because the sheepdog is, is running around with the sheep, um, trying to protect the sheep from, huh. you know, uh, outside evil influences. But the sheepdog ultimately lays down his life yeah. uh, for the shepherd. Right, as opposed to lying down his life for the oh, sheep. That's good. So it's 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 very much a a permanent state of of servanthood, if right. you like. Very well said, Deacon. So so where does the music fit into all this? Is this something that's separate as a as a ministry, or do you really see that as part of your deacon as your diaconal ministry? Uh, I see the music really as as just an offshoot of uh, of a continuing development of of 
my my personhood, I guess, if you could say, or my identity as as a deacon. Mm. Um, you know, I was always involved with music uh, from the time I was you know in my teens and that, and and through the years, you know, I played in different you know bands and bar bands and playing in pubs yeah, and things yeah, yeah. like that. Um, but uh, it, it took quite a, a different turn when when uh, we were you know I was first married, um, and I ended up breaking my hand, so I. I I set aside, you know, all of my music and said, well, that's the end of that, and that was fine and, and great, and didn't, didn't even touch the guitar for, for a year. And um, the parish we were in was looking for somebody, and we were new to this parish. They were looking for somebody to provide music for um, a children's choir for Christmas. Uh-huh. And uh, nobody was coming forward. Nobody was volunteering. And so my wife said, you know, why don't you kind of step up to the plate? You know, that's that's the thing about Mary Deacons. We yes. always have the Holy Spirit speaking to us through our wives. Through our wives, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, hon, you know, I haven't played guitar in a, in a year. And she said, look, it's children's liturgy. How hard can this be? Right. So I, I volunteered and, and played. And from then on, it wasn't until when I was recording um, In Your Presence in 2004, uh, while I was going through formation to the diaconate, that, that my wife pointed out to me that from the time of volunteering in that parish um, to the present, I haven't played anywhere except in churches. Right. So there was always this this, right. this dimension of, of the faith mm-hmm. and this dimension of, of what do I do with this? Much the same as, as the diaconal calling, you know, here I am, Lord, I come to do your will. What, what do you want me to do? Mm-hmm. Where do you want me to go? And so with the music, it just kind of branched out from that. Yeah. And through formation, it just it gave more grist for the mill, and so I ended up with with writing all of this music, um, recording it, and then you know what do I do with it? So again, as a, as an offshoot of the diaconate, the music has turned into this vehicle where I just I just give it away. Um, yes, freely. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's you know freely you've been given a gift, and and I think as a deacon you can you can appreciate this that you know you've been given certain gifts and and, mm-hmm. and talents and abilities. And and as uh, you know, the icon of Christ, the servant, um, we're we're called to to use those abilities and those gifts and and freely share them with each other for the greater glory of God. Yeah, Amen. Wow, um, we could spend so much time talking about this, and of course, we're out of time. But it's been really good meeting you officially and and listening to your music. Thank you for sharing a little bit of that with us and. Hopefully there are more albums inside of you that we can uh, have more reasons to play your music well, thank on the you air. thank you so much for the privilege of spending time with you. Excellent. Deacon Chuck Stevens is a permanent deacon for the Diocese of London, Ontario. He continues to write music and reflections while involved in ministry at St. Benedict, St. Joseph, and Our Lady of Mercy Parishes in Sarnia, Ontario. He and his wife Kathy have five children. You can check out his his website at smalltalentmusic.com. We're going to put that on our website as well so you can find it easily. Here now is Deacon Chuck with the title track of his album, Harvest of Love. Here is a harvest of love From all of the bounty you granted We give back to you From the 
with our neighbor the fruits of our labor the work of our hearts and our Listening to Deacon Chuck Stevens' Harvest of Love from the album of that same title. And that will take us to the end of the program. Remember that you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light hours at saltandlighttv.org/slash radio. That's also where you can now listen to uninterrupted music all day long. Christian music like you've never heard it before. Go to our website and learn how you can listen online and on the go on your mobile devices. Thank you for your generosity, for your prayers. We cannot do this work without your support. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour.